1: Hello everyone, welcome back to Ozbiz Live from our Barangaroo studios, great to have your company, I'm David Kosh, this is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, I put them to our expert panel, we whizzed through it all in one hour, let's get straight to the panel, David Lane from odds in Brisbane, uh, good afternoon hey. to you sir, how are you? Good afternoon. And Daniel Ortizzi from uh, the Stock Talker is with us in Melbourne, Daniel how are you mate?
2: Yeah, very well, thanks, Koshi. Good to be here.
1: Yeah, Daniel smiling, he's a bombers fan, so <laughs> it's all done well. Uh David, what's your do you, what's your AF2, AFL team? Being up home. Brisbane, Brisbane Lions, yeah course, they're oh, yeah. looking good in third place at the moment. Another good win on the, they're doing the weekend. They're well this year, yeah. So we're, we're all happy. We're a happy trio today. <laughs> all our teams won. Fabulous. <laughs> all right, let's get into the stocks we're going to cover in this first half hour that you've sent in that you want us to uh, have a look at. Uh, Pact Group, uh, Growth Point, Baby Bunting, Acro Formwork and Construction, and Judo Bank, a really good cross-section of stocks there. Uh, Stock of the day, Um Look, we haven't talked about Westpac in particular uh, very much uh, recently. And today's announcement that it's appointing uh, RBA Assistant Governor uh, Lucy Ellis to be as chief economist sort of caught my attention. Um, Ellis will replace our old mate Bill Evans, who's been the chief economist since 1991. Yep, Bill Evans has been the chief economist at Westpac since the last recession and uh, will start the role on October 9. So, interesting appointment, David Lane. Uh, obviously, Lucy Ellis uh, thinks she is not is not going to get the top job at the uh, at the Reserve Bank, so is moving for, for bigger bucks uh, at Westpac, I should imagine, beforehand. But um, what about Westpac as uh, one of our big four banks at the moment? What do you think of it?
0: Yeah, well, as you say, it's a, an interesting announcement. Um, you know, Bill Jones is uh, Bill James, I should say, has been yeah, part that's... of the, the the institution for a, a long, long time. Um, and uh, yeah, it's certainly um, interesting to, to have a, a changing of the guard, and, and potentially it may even say a little bit more about what might be going on at the Reserve Bank that um, you know, Philip Lowe is is due to have his contract either renewed or, or uh, terminated in September this year. So there's obviously some internal um, uh, politicking going on there. But uh, yeah, a bit of a changing there uh, at, at Westpac and the RBA. But as far as uh, an investment's concerned, we like Westpac at current levels. We've got an Accumulate recommendation on it. Uh, it's actually trading at pretty good fundamentals, uh, PE of about 10 times, and a dividend yield of 6.9% fully franked. Mm. So the gross yield is nearly 10% on Westpac. Uh, so definitely good from a, a, a yield perspective. Um, and Generally, we do find that banks uh, in rising interest rate environments make more money, um, and you know the, there has been some pressure on on net interest margins at the banks. But we think Westpac are, are managing that fairly well. Uh, and really, what we've seen in the last five years is the major banks have got back to their knitting and and they're they're back to being core banks. So, um, you know, the, the mortgage market um, continues to be relatively strong, uh, even in spite of the headwinds that are on the horizon. And while we've got strong employment, uh, we'll think that, you know, we, we should continue to have a, a reasonable market for uh, for mortgages in the future.
1: Okay. All right. accumulate on West Bank. Daniel. <coughs> Excuse me, what do you. <coughs> oh, I'm just choking on myself. Um, Daniel, what do you think of Westpac?
2: Look, I think Westpac and probably go to the big four as well, uh, a <laughs> whole as uh, the most well positioned in the sector at the moment. Um, we're certainly, you know, quite cautious banking as a whole, uh, probably because we're coming off a, a peak in margins and a peak in profitability. So they are trading on higher yields, but I think that's the market kind of saying, you know, we're anticipating that to, to potentially fall if not be very stable for the next few years. So really, X growth. Um, one thing that we've been focusing on quite heavily is really the rollover from the RBA. Is TFF, the, the term funding facility, at that very low rate, and I think Westpac's probably one of the more well-progressed banks in refinancing that. So, I think there are probably reasons to be, you know, relatively positive on Westpac um, out of the big four. But keep in mind, um, you know, that they're talking up the cost-out program. Uh, very difficult to to manage when you've got, you know, rising cost inflation in, in their P&L base. So probably a few things to be cautious about, uh, but we'd be happy to hold it here. Probably, probably not enough value at the moment for us to be buyers.
1: Yeah, Daniel, though, a, a lot of panellists here on the call, though, constantly say, Big four banks over the longer term just been terrible performers. Uh, yes, retail investors love them, um, but return on shareholders' funds has just been disappointing. Um, good yield at the moment, fully frank, yes, but you know over the longer term, not great.
2: Well, I think there's probably similar sentiments to, to some of the major miners there, Koshi, in that if you actually look at the businesses over the last twenty years, you know, there's been multiple transformations. Like obviously the, the Royal Commission was a huge impact to their business model in terms of what aspects or what lines um, they were in. You know, obviously the kind of advice and the wealth packaging and, and everything of that sort is now really out of those companies and it's more focused on mortgage lending, mm. you know, pure play mortgage lenders. So I think that's that's gotta be considered um, in that discussion because the businesses have been disrupted over the long term. Similar to something like a Telstra. Um, you know, it's it's something that started as a monopoly and then was disrupted more in a more competitive market. So I think you gotta consider those aspects. Therefore, you know, I think the next five years probably, you know. You'd have to have give them a little bit of grace because, you know, they're, they're already differentiated businesses now. And now these guys have the competitive advantage to, you know, say the neo banks, because they have the cost of capital advantage, they have the size okay. advantage. They're the ones getting the customer deposits, which is really what drives um, you know, bank profitability. You want to be able to have the lowest cost structure. So I think there are reasons to be positive, you know, relatively. Um, but you know, the sector as a whole is likely to be a little bit challenged in the near term for the okay. reasons discussed. So not too positive. But, you know, relative to the long term of what they have been, I think the outlook's a little bit brighter.
1: Okay. Remind me, did you have a buy on Westpac just then or hold? No, happy to hold it hold here. It, right. Speaking of those um, uh, new banks coming out, we've got Judo later in this half hour. All right, let's get into the stocks that uh, you want us to have a look at. Martin wants a view, David, on Pact Group. Martin says, uh, be interested in the panel's opinion. Low margin, high capex, high debt, but good free cash flow. Is this too risky for a value, uh, for a three year value hole, David? Good question.
0: It's an excellent question and I think Martin's um, summarised it very, very well. They do have, uh, yeah, fairly um, high debt uh, and their cash flow has been good, although in their last result their cash flow was was down fairly significantly on, on the previous period. Um, and the concern I think that we've got with PACT is that they've in May had a profit downgrade, um, so not positive they're looking at, at – lower volumes as far as the business is concerned and concerns about higher costs coming through so it is an industry that um, is suffering, I think, from um, yeah, from from both those lower costs, oh, sorry, lower volumes and higher costs. Uh, we saw similar from Amcor in their last uh, management announcement as well that they're suffering uh, similar sorts of pressures on on their margins. Looking at that share price, obviously it's it's down significantly over uh, the, the last 12 or 18 months, um, and. Over a three-year period, as Martin has highlighted, they could well be a company that, that does recover because that high um, capital expenditure that he mentioned has predominantly you know, been done in the last couple of years. Management forecast is that by... Uh, financial year 24, they'll uh, reduce their their capital expenditure. So they've spent about 125 million dollars in this fund or yeah, this current financial year. Next year it will normalise a little bit. So hopefully we will start to see an improvement in those margins going forward. Um, and as you said, it's a high risk investment. So if you've got them, I'd be holding them. Um, I probably wouldn't be buying them at the moment because. It's usually a difficult time to buy stock just after a profit downgrade. I'd be waiting until the next announcement or the next result to see that we've actually got some confirmation of uh, an improvement in their outlook.
1: Okay. Uh, Daniel, of course, it specializes in um, plastic packaging, and uh, materials handling, recycling as well. One of those, sort of um, a bit of an old-fashioned industrial, is it?
2: Yeah, certainly, Koshy, and I think if you look at the share price, the market is certainly anticipating um, some form of balance sheet repair. So it looks like it's pricing in a capital raise. You know, the $600 million of net debt, and the equity value is around $200, 250000000 million. So there's clearly a lot of concerns yeah. around the balance sheet, and that's something you know we, we'd certainly focus on. You know, the, the, that's probably the one thing investors, and especially retail investors, if they are looking at you know a turnaround situation like this. You know, you have to understand the balance sheet because if they come in the market and do a hugely right. dilutive capital raise, if you buy before that, it's, you know, it's going to be very hard. So did you just say their investment. debt
1: is more than their, um, their uh, basically capitalization?
2: Yeah, no, and, and look, it's common with some businesses. If you look at this, clearly the share price has been sold off, yeah. um, you know, very materially. So it, the market's, you know, it's pricing in a, a capital raise at this point. And I'd probably draw parallels to something like Star Entertainment here, Koshy, where, right. you know, obviously they had a huge tangible asset book, and everyone used to speak about, oh well, you know, the stock's trading well below NTA. Um, but things you have to consider are one, you know, those assets can be valued downwards and impaired, which they were, and then number two, they they had to raise capital. Um, to, to support the business and that was done at a huge discount. So just consider these types of factors. You know, we probably wouldn't be comfortable holding this at the moment uh, because like David said, you know, there's been multiple downgrades um, and, you know, if you look at Amcor who are the industry leaders, uh, obviously they're global player, um, you know, the, the commentary isn't very positive. So you, you'd have to imagine these guys would be facing just as worse, if not, um, you know, just as bad, if not worse challenges. So, you know, we'd probably be sellers of this stock just because we're just very concerned about that. Balance sheet. Yep. Okay.
1: All right. Our uh, next stock. Uh, Chris wants a view on Growth Point Properties. Daniel. Uh, Chris says, share my uh, share price has been smashed of late. Wondering if the market is overreacting to valuation decreases, or is there some? major issues I'm missing here. Growth Point, of course, is a real estate industrial trust, um, investment trust, a, a REIT. They've all been smashed, if it's any consolation. Chris uh, owns a portfolio of 55 office and industrial properties throughout Australia. Uh, Daniel, what, what do you think of Growth Point? Is it any different to all the other REITs out there?
2: Oh, look, uh, and, and we spoke about this a few weeks ago, didn't we, Koshy, yep. about the REITs and some of the challenges they're facing? I think um, you know wh- what I said then, and what I agree with now is that you have to consider the position of the underlying asset. So, office real estate—we're probably not looking to invest in any office-focused um, REIT at all. I know it does have some, you know, e- exposure to industrial, but fair to say it's primarily an office-based REIT. And if you look at the properties, they're, they're more metropolitan area properties, like for example, you know, they own you know some office space in somewhere like Richmond and. Melbourne, uh, not necessarily focus entirely on the CBD, which um, look potentially could have its own troubles in the few years when it comes to leasing. So, you know, they, they are trading at discounts. They do look cheap, but there's, there's genuine headwinds there. So, we're not, no, probably not comfortable uh, looking to buy any office. Based read at the moment, but there are probably opportunities starting to emerge in, in more of the alternative ones. So one we caught out is something like ARENA, which obviously more in the childcare space, um, you know, hugely supported by government subsidies, yeah. CPI, uh, linked leases there so that's something a little bit more supportive um when you look at kind of rental growth in the next few years so for us it would be a no um we wouldn't own it if we did own it you know we'd probably hold it to for the for the upcoming dividend and then potentially you know reevaluate after um, the FY23 report probably looking if it's not too positive to sell but um, that's how we'd be yep. viewing the REIT space. Yeah, yeah,
1: but um, REITs. REITs, as you point out, Daniel, take on all different shapes and sizes. You do yep. you do have medical uh, REITs as well, medical um, um, spaces and offices, and as you say, the childcare space as well with ARENA. Um, David, what do you think of Growth Point?
0: Yeah. Tend to uh, agree with a lot of what Daniel said, although we probably have a slightly more positive outlook on Growth Point. Um, we've got an accumulate recommendation on it and actually have a fair value of $4.05. So oh. their current share price is about 49% below yes. that fair value. Um, and the analyst has, has recently reviewed that and and kept with the or stuck with the, the fair value of 4 dollars five. so the market is definitely anticipating that we're heading into a period of revaluation of properties um, but our view is that growth point uh, at this point in time probably isn't going to have as, as severe uh, valuation downgrade as the market is anticipating. Um, And that's partly due to the fact that, as Daniel said, that they do have a lot of their properties outside of the CBD. Um, Their average uh, weighted average lease expiry is about 6.2 years. So they're reasonably long as far as their their leases are concerned. And most of their leases are actually CPI linked or have a a fixed increase. So um, somewhat... Uh, you know, alleviated from the, the rising uh, interest rates but the concern about interest rates is that their debt has actually increased so their, their gearing is about 35.7% so um, you yeah, to Chris's question that's possibly one of the reasons why the market has oversold it um, but we have as you said seen a, a general sell-off in in reits. Mm. um we think that this one's you know reasonable value and and over time as we see a bit of a recovery in that um reit market it's probably a reasonable one um but yeah bearing in mind that in the current environment they are still a a relatively higher risk investment
1: mm. okay so that's interesting your your analysts so there, there's sort of two camps, isn't there, with, with REITs. Analysts that say, hey, the market's just reflecting the devaluations of properties that are going to come through over the next year or two. So where um, the share price is ahead of the curve. And then there's another camp, which your analyst is in, saying, hey, the devaluations aren't going to be as bad. And there's, going, right. there's going to be some positivity coming to the REITs and, uh, and there could be good buying, that the discounting's been overdone.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and they've done that. Yeah, really across the board. Looked at the the valuations, and th- there is likely revaluations to occur. And we saw recently from Dexas a couple of um, properties were revalued down. Um, but we don't necessarily think it's going to be as bad as what the mm-hmm. the market is okay. anticipating. Uh, and yeah, tend to think that many of the REITs are probably oversold. Um, when you look at Growth Point, they're on a yield of eight percent. Um, you know, PE of around nine times. Um, so the fundamentals are good. And, you know, the, they're a relatively conservative one in that they're only a landlord. They don't have development risks. They're not necessarily, you know, building new properties. They're just taking the rent. Right. And if the rents are linked to CPI, well, that yield is is relatively well underpinned.
1: Okay. All right, they've got a bit of a safety net there. All right, our third stock, um, David, Tony wants to be on Baby Bunting, The uh, uh all things uh babies and toddlers and uh any mm. parent or grandparent will know they're the biggest they're like the office works of uh a baby gear, aren't they? Uh but Tony said yep. Tony says, Do you think baby bunting will be taken out by a bigger retailer? So a couple of questions there. Is it good value at the moment? And is there any MA possibility?
0: Yeah, well, it's certainly a, an interesting question and one that I hadn't necessarily thought of until uh, and, until the last day or so. Um, you know, it, it definitely has been a, a category killer, if you like, as far as, um, you know, that that um, that baby uh, market. And, you know, if you like, it's it's similar to a Bunnings uh, and what they did to hardware. So, mm-hmm. you know, you draw that long-term... Um, outlook. There's the potential that the likes of a West Farmers or a Premier Investments might look at it. Um, but I don't necessarily think there's compelling enough value in the stock at the moment to to warrant them looking at baby bunting. Um, you know, good business, but they've come out with a, a profit downgrade recently. Um, they're their net profit outlook was down 37% on their previous uh, guidance. So, you know, there's a bit of a, a, a red mark against the stock at the moment. Uh, and we've, what we've seen with baby bunting is a real repricing um, of the stock from the market because they used to be trading on a PE of about 18 times when the market was saying it's a growth stock and that they're going to continue to grow by new stores and, and uh, new online sales. What we've now seen, and it's not just just baby bunting, but many of the the small cup small cap uh, retailers have been sold off and they're trading more on a valuation or value point of view. So I guess the market's saying it's difficult to see growth coming out of them over the next twelve to eighteen months and is is discounting the fact that um, you know Retail sales are, are coming off, uh, and in their last result, when they they came out with their profit downgrade, they sort of said that that sales are down, but also their costs are up fairly significantly. Right. So the margins are lower there. So um, yeah, we've got a whole recommendation on it. Um, I you know if you've got the stock, I think it's it's still a decent business, um, but I don't necessarily see that there's a catalyst to be buying at present.
1: Mm. Uh, Daniel, we're going through a baby boom, though. And as any grandparent knows, when (laughs) we seem to have a flashing red light on our head uh, when we walk into a baby bunting and they go, grandparent, let's go to the big margin end of the the stroller business or the pram uh, range here. Um, Jeez, when you buy a McLaren, it is like buying an F1 (laughs) car, isn't it? It's so expensive.
2: Yeah, are those the bugaboos there? Oh, Goshie, the bugaboo yes. friends.
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. With the different colored yeah. hoods. But my yeah, bottles exactly. wasn't like that in my day. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, no, exactly. And and I think historically, you know, they, they have benefited from, you know, a lot of their competitors kind of falling by the wayside uh, in this segment of retail. And therefore, you know, they, had, they were a long-term kind of beneficiary from that. Um, but I think there are a few things to consider with baby bunting. One of them is that because they're typically larger stores, like larger location-based stores with a lot of inventory and a lot of staff on hand, um, you know, the, the fixed costs are pretty high and the margins, net margins are relatively low for a company like baby bunting. Hunting. So, very different story to something like LaVisa. And hence, when you do have the downturn, um, profits can get absolutely walloped. Um, so, it's not the first time we've seen a huge drawdown um, in performance and in the share price, probably not the last, but there are a few things of concern recently. So, obviously, the CEO um, has announced he's stepping away from the business, longtime CEO. And typically, when you have that, you know, the, the newcomer typically, like, yeah. um, you know, we say on Ausbiz, you know, kind of lets all the skeletons out of the closet. So, that's one thing yep. we'd be afraid Rate of at the upcoming report, whether it's impairments, whether it's write-downs of stock, you know, whether it's just a, another profit downgrade, these are all things that you know relatively could be coming in the near future. And the second thing is, if, you know, you want, you want to look at the cash flow. So, first half cash flows, and I've just got the numbers here. Um, you know, and, and this is the reason why we used to own this stock, but we, we sold it after the first half report. Um, cash flow from operations, eight million, so relatively low. Um, and they ended up paying out 12 million in dividend and then the further 11 million just in lease payments. So no. really on an operational basis, they'll cash flow negative after deducting lease payments and then had a pretty chunky dividend as well. So debt is starting to pile up on that balance sheet given that and the combination of the profit downgrade you know there, there could be some genuine areas for concern here so you know that's why we sold the stock um right. it, 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 after the first half report you know if you held it now uh, it's a very you know hard decision you're likely yeah. waiting just to see what the report says yeah um at this point since so June's if you're still a, it.
1: You'd, you'd hold at five-year lows
2: yeah, I'd just like to see what the report is. Uh, I guess yep. now if you're still holding it, but but back to the viewers' question, M&A in the retail space, you know, it's not very frequent because they don't really, you know, th- there's not too many barriers to entry in this space, uh, and there's not much to leverage up from their point of view. So they like to go into businesses where they can, you know, leverage up the yeah, assets, raise okay. a lot of debt. You know, there's nothing, for example, a baby bunny can do. They don't own the properties. You know, it's all lease-based. Um, obviously, it's more fixed overheads like staff and right. um, and, and and lease costs as well. So th- th- that's why you typically don't see much M&A activity here. And if you look recently, like at a best and less, that was a nil premium takeover, effectively at a discount to what the, what the share price was trading at. So, right. you know, M&A, you probably, you probably don't even want that at the moment if you're a shareholder.
1: Okay. All right. Great advice. All right. Let's uh, go to something a bit more traditional. Our full stock is Acro Formwork and Construction. David's... Ah, uh, this it's uh, as the name implies. It's in scaffolding, formwork, concrete structures, that sort of thing. Uh, David says, uh, rarely mentioned here on the call. It's enjoyed no less than eight consecutive profit upgrade announcements since October 2021. 20, David says, don't think any other company has that record, which includes during and post COVID. Are they that good a business? Ridiculously conservative in their outlook, or just poor at budgeting? David, uh, Daniel, some good questions there from David.
2: Yeah, he seems like a pretty uh, scrutinous investor. There, yeah. um, perhaps he perhaps he should try organise a call with management. Yeah. Uh, a few good <laughs> questions for them. Um, look, this is a business. It's, it's a little bit too small for us, so liquidity requirements you know deem that we can't own it but it has been one we've had a look at um you know uh, on a bit of a, a bit of a hands off basis and they have done a great job so they do more specialized projects so they tender for projects uh, and then they kind of engineer and design you know the scaffolding and formwork um, for those projects um, so it is a little bit differentiated in that view. It's not like the traffic management, um, more coats type of you know hiring assets. It's it is more specialized. And you know due to the infrastructure spending um, boom, you know that's been going on in Australia in the last few years. These guys continue to win more work. You know clearly they've built up more of a reputation. They keep acquiring um, more add-on and smaller businesses as well, likely to to get more um, customers on board and and try you know exercise the synergies there. So they've done a really great job in the last few years and. I think, you know, from the profit upgrade um aspect, a lot of their expenses and the capex is, you know, incurred up front. So they're pitching for these deals, then they'll invest um in the materials, get everything built, and then they, you know, reap the rewards over the next few years in the contract term. So, you know, they're probably likely just seeing an increased drip to to the budget and and to the forecast there. And because they're expending all the um cash flows up front, it does come in at, at quite a high margin um and a and a quite a high ROE. So the numbers you know, this year, last year, next year, look really good. Um, so we, we wouldn't be opposed to a spec buy here for a retail investor with a smaller parcel um, mm. because, you know, th- those contracts are probably likely to last for another 12 months
0: and uh, I think they'll continue to do well.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Uh, David?
0: Yeah, we think it's a great little business. Um, you know, as Daniel said, it's uh, it, it's in a bit of a, a niche industry, but they've been able to grow through acquisition and a lot of, uh, a lot of um, you know, Uh, mum and dad type businesses they've been able to bolt on uh, and also been able to win a lot of new contracts so that's been providing a lot of um, you know contract or a lot of earning certainty over the last couple of years so our analyst has actually upgraded it's his recommendation Uh, we've got a buy recommendation on it we previously had a target price of 98 cents and he's increased that to 108 so uh, definitely sees a lot of upside in the business, um, and we've actually got some reasonable earning certainty coming through from uh, strong free cash flow and and uh, strong contract wins. So yeah, we like the business. Uh, they've recently just made a, another acquisition uh, of the Issaback formwork panel system, which we think is is earnings accretive to it. So. Yeah, definitely have a, a buy recommendation on it. Okay. But as Daniel said, it is in the, the higher risk category because it is a fairly small business.
1: Okay, all right, our uh, viewer, David, some good points there and the, and the fellows like it. Uh, our next doc, David, is uh, Judo Bank. Tory wants a view of that saying, uh, Judo seem to be going from strength to strength, high risk proposition, of course, would welcome the <laughs> panel's expertise and guidance on this one. Of course, Judo Bankers. is one of the uh, the neo banks that have um, only listed in the last three or four years, but specializes in that small business space, David, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, that's right. And that's probably one of the reasons why it is high risk, um, because as we're heading into a a period where you're know, possibly in a recession or heading towards a recession. The SME market is often where you tend to find a lot of the pain. Um, so, yes, Judo Bank has been going from strength to strength and they've been doing very, very well, but they haven't yet operated in an environment with tough economic conditions. Um, so, I'd probably be cautious about going into uh, Judo Bank at the moment. Um, they're trading on a, a PE of about 30 times, so they're not cheap compared to the other banks. Um, but they are doing some some good things, they've recently uh, been investing in a new uh, software platform which they say will reduce their costs uh, by about 50% as far as um, you know, their, their operating platform is concerned. So you know, they're, they're improving their business and improving their margins but I'd just be cautious about the current environment and heading into. Um, you know, into an environment where there's the potential that, that SME customers mm. have, have problems. Um, you know, I'd rather be in one of the, the bigger players, um, either a Macquarie bank or, uh, you know, similar sort of business that, that has um, a wider spread and a bit more diversified in their exposure.
1: Okay, all right, not for you on that. Daniel, what do you think of Judo, regarded as being uh, well-run, good executive team?
2: Yeah, no, it, it's very difficult at the moment, um, especially for SME banking. And and like I mentioned, when we're talking about Westpac, you know, the smaller players are structurally disadvantaged because the cost of funding is higher. So yes, something like Judo, it's more focused on on business lending. So technically, the margins are greater in business lending um, than you know obviously mortgage lending, but the funding costs is higher as well. So probably over time as things normalize and they roll off um, the RBA funding facility because a lot of their funding at the moment is from the TFF so net interest margin looks really really strong but that will come down over time and therefore you know you're probably not going to have too much of a real benefit uh, from a margin perspective versus the banks yet the banks have a much higher quality book because it's it's secured by mortgages whereas business loans can be quite tricky um, and you know if you're judo bank um, in order to win business you're probably either going to have to offer a better rate than say, you know, the big four uh, in, in acquiring customers or, you know, you're going to have to accept and take on more risk. So the challenges at the moment, I think are a little bit understated. Like this is this is a really difficult environment. Um, and, you know, it's not easy to be in the SME lending sector. And there's a reason why, you know, the majority of the big four have pulled away from here. So yeah. from our point of view, we, we probably wouldn't hold it. Um, you know, if, if I wanted to be exposed to here, I'd, I'd much rather sell this and buy NAB um as my exposure to, to like the the australian kind of business banking um and overall kind of right. economic exposure um having said that they could do really well so keep it on the watch list and follow those metrics um, but you know th- there is still yeah. a, i think a fair bit of downside if things don't play out for for a company like and, judo
1: and the thing is a small business market needs financial institutions to back them don't they and as you say the big four banks par, uh, nab's probably the biggest in the uh, small Mm. business market. All the others uh, basically become home lenders, have they, And, and ignore small business.
2: You're right. And, and what that actually does is it, it almost insulates NAB's uh, position in the market because, you know, the reality is if you are a small business and, you know, you're, you're likely to go to whoever's going to give you either the best rate, the best yeah. opportunity to get financing. And a lot of the times, um, you know, it is more systematic lending these days. So it's not as focused on, say, having a relationship manager or, or a banking advisor with you and really working out, you know, what, what are kind of the terms that we're able yeah. to lend to you. It's really more systematic and based on, you know cash flows based on what assets the business yeah. holds and a lot of the time i think probably people don't realize this but business lending is secured by you know a director's home or something along those lines so there, it it is oftentimes you know secured lending uh, in itself so it's just really hard space oh, to yeah. compete absolutely. and um
1: absolutely and with a lot of small businesses uh you yeah. ask for a loan and they say what's your zero or Myob yeah. passwords, yeah. and they send their algorithm in. Don't want yeah. to talk to you. Just go yes or no, yeah. based on uh, going in and looking at the numbers rather than understanding your business. Mm.
2: Yeah. All right. That's why it's hard to compete there because you're pricing risk. Yeah. Um, systematically pricing risk, so it's very very hard to compete. Yep.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's recap the uh, the first five stock stocker of the day was Westpac, um, a a buy from uh, from augmented a hold from. Uh, from Daniel at the Stock Doctor, pack a uh, a hold from David, a sell from Daniel, a growth point and accumulate from um, from David and odds a no from Daniel. Uh, all the REITs are being smashed at the moment. If you're, if you're interested in a REIT that's a bit different, that's not in uh, commercial property or industrial or retail, um, he prefers Arena, which is in um, in childcare centres. Mm. Uh, Baby Bundy, a hold from both uh, Acro. speculative buy from both David and Daniel. Nice uh, little business, but it is on the small and small cap. And fairly illiquid and a no for judo from both. Uh, Here at the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction fantasy fund as picked by the investment committee. You can see the the July meeting on the platform at the moment, osbiz.com. Let's see what they... uh, At the July meeting, they took their profits on Boss Energy um, stayed in the uranium uh, sector, though, and uh, replaced it with Paladin. Uh, Kelsian is out. They've gone, um, brought LaVisa into the portfolio. Uh, the retailer share price has been smashed. They're making the investment committee an early play into the retail recovery. Um, and the portfolio is up around 2% uh, on a cumulative basis. Uh, let's take a look at the stocks in this half hour. We'll be having a look at the Australian Bond Exchange, which I don't think has ever come up on the call before. Uh, Maya EML Payments, Newcrest Mining and MMA Offshore. Um, David Lane, Australian Bond Exchange. Tori wants a view uh, on that. She says... Uh, Come across a small company, interested in your views on it. Sounds like quite a unique proposition, business model, bringing institutional bond investment to the average person, although no doubt this has been tried many times in the past. <laughs> um, what do you think of Australian Bond Exchange?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting little business. I, to be honest, wasn't aware of it uh, before doing the the research for this show. Um, But it's, yeah, it is an interesting one. Um, The bond market is significantly larger than the Australian Stock Exchange. I think it's about two or three times. Um, But historically, that's only institutional investors playing in that market. Um, We, for example, have a... Uh, a bond um, operating desk um, but that's only available to our wholesale and sophisticated investors so retail investors aren't able to right. to access that um, currently um, but Australian bond exchanges is, is attempting to change that uh, so what they're doing is um, yeah, providing technology that will allow retail investors to invest in a range of different bonds um, there are a few other companies around that have done that. Uh, while it is an interesting business, I would caution how small it is. Um, so their revenues have gone up very significantly, but their revenues are only four million dollars in the ah. last twelve months. So very very small. Um, if they are successful, certainly you know has has a massive market and and has a, a big potential. And with rising interest rates, it's meant that um, bonds are becoming a little bit more interesting to to most investors now. Um, But yeah, it would definitely be a a speculative uh, investment if you have it and probably a little bit too small for for me to be looking at it. But um, yeah, I'll I'll definitely keep an eye on it because it's Mm. an interesting uh, business proposition.
1: Okay. Daniel?
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, I'm glad David went first with this one because obviously, you know, in that more advisor market, he'd have a much better understanding of what you know, a company like this could offer to the average client. Um, you know, I, I think from looking at some of their announcements, um, it seems like they're offering kind of access to you know, specific kind of bond capital raisings to a retail or, or to a, to a um, non-sophisticated investor, which I'm not sure the functionality of that because there are a lot of you know regulations about um, what kind of access people can have to certain financial products. So, you know, I'm probably not... Too sure what's really going on behind the business. So, um, you know, that's one that I I'd, I'd definitely need to have a closer look at. But, you know, given the history since it listed and the metrics really haven't been too good, there's a reason why, you know, the share price has really underperformed. I'd say actually, you know, the average retail investor, they get access to bonds or to fixed income through either managers. Um, that you know their advisor might recommend or through to etfs you know it 's very easy to get access to that type of stuff these days, and it gives you access to a diversified portfolio. Of fixed income security so I'm not really sure what the relevance is of saying uh, and I think for example you know they talked about um, some fees they earned for for kind of a pass on of a Ford um, bond recently listed like I'm not sure what the interest would be for an individual investor to say I'm going to get my fixed income exposure through you know one corporate bond they'd likely get that through a portfolio of securities yeah. managed by you know managed by a fund manager bond fund manager so I'd be pretty skeptical on this I don't think it's one that you could really Really, um you know investing at the moment there's just Too many factors going against it seems like, you know, a difficult business model. Uh, And, you know, we we probably wouldn't be interested in a stock like this at this time.
1: All right. All right. Let's uh, kick off with you on this, Daniel. Pete wants a view of Meijer, the big department store chain, grew out of Melbourne with the Meijer family, um, has been decimated for years as department stores went on a slippery slope. But then in March this year, my share price got up to what a dollar 15 um, so it did have a pulse uh, it's come back come back a bit now to 62 cents but um, uh, it's it's online retail digital re- uh, retail really shot the lights out Daniel didn't it? and that sort of gave investors a bit of confidence back into it
2: yeah, so pre-COVID, it looked like this bending, uh, this bending, this business was trending for bankruptcy. Yep. Um, you know, they they did have quite a big, uh, a large amount of net debt, and you know, if you follow kind of the accounting standards and the changes to to lease um, reporting, you know, a company like Maya They went from, you know, not showing any leases on the balance sheet to over, you know, I think one and a half billion dollars of lease liabilities on the balance sheet. So these guys, you know, have exposure to the biggest kind of properties, the biggest leases in the market, very long term. So that's a huge liability and a huge fixed overhead cost, hence why, you know, they were really struggling pre-COVID. But, you know, that. Obviously, shift to, to online spending and really return to to customer spending gave them a huge boost. And keep in mind, this is a business that still does over a billion dollars in turnover. So yes, mm. it's been struggling, but it has a huge revenue base and a huge customer base. So obviously, you get a little bit of operating leverage there. You know, the profits absolutely soared. So they've done an amazing job. Um, but you know, it's likely that that's coming to an end now. You know, spending is normalized um, over the last few months, and clearly, you know, everyone's talking about the cost of living pressures. Um, all the pressures involved in the retail sector. And that leverage works two ways. It works on the upside and it works on the downside too. So I think there have been a few structural changes to the business in terms of, yes, it's built a much better online presence and people are kind of signed up to the My Rewards program Mm. and things like that but it's still going to be extremely difficult. And this is one with, with serious leverage um, to the sector, which if you're not positive on the sector, you know, you, you definitely can't be holding Maya and that's probably our
1: view at the moment. Right, okay. Uh, David, pro- probably the, the best known retail brand in Australia, um, isn't it? And they have re-engineered the business. Daniel, are they getting out of their flagship uh, city store in, uh, in Burt Street as well? But they've been in forever, that's where they started.
2: I think I think that lease um, is either coming to an end or it's being yeah. negotiated at the moment. And yeah. if you look at um, some of the news that happened with David Jones, how they got the the takeover offer from private equity, they wanted to cancel all their leases yeah. um, with with, with Centre Group and, and and the like. So that will be really interesting to see what happens yeah. there. But uh, there's still, even if they you know exit that position, gosh, there's still a huge uh, kind of liability and, um, yeah. and 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 something to yeah. consider for investors.
1: David Lane, well, what does Ords think of Maya? Can the old girl get back up?
0: Uh we've got a hold on it. Um, we did have it accumulate, but recently downgraded it to a, a hold based on the, the recent price improvement. Um, you mentioned the Burke Street site. They're actually in the process of closing their Brisbane uh, Brisbane CBD site. So uh, they've had the, the lease of it's actually called the Meyer Centre here in, in Brisbane, but they're uh, exiting that lease, I think, at the end of this month. Um, so the store's currently in, in close down mode. And uh, at this point in time, they haven't re signed a another lease in Brisbane CBD. So they are looking at those leases and, and changing the business around. Um, Peter King, the, the long-time uh, CEO, has announced that he's stepping down. Um, so they're, you know, without a, a new CEO, they're in the process of, of looking for a new, um, a new CEO to take over. So, yeah, it's a business that, um, you know, it still keeps keeping on, even though mm-hmm. it's um, under a lot of pressure. But uh, yeah, I'd be probably waiting for a bit of a a, a share price decline before re-entering the the stock. Um, you know, okay. and. Probably the other thing to say about Meyer is you look at the fundamentals and it's trading on a PE of five times and a dividend yield of 11%, which looks really appealing, but the analysts are actually forecasting a, a decline or a halving of their profit next year. So the PE doubles to 10 and the yield halves to five. So. I'd be wary of that value trap at at the current price.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, Kelly wants a view, uh, David Lane, on EML Payments, the financial technology company, 32 countries uh, uh, across um, Australia, North America, UK, Ireland, which I don't like talking about, I don't think, Europe, um, and here in Australia. Payments, uh, gift cards, uh, reward schemes, uh, bit of uh, a few governance issues with regulators overseas has uh, really under- undercut the uh, the confidence in, in the stock. Um, can they yeah. rebuild it?
0: I think they can. Um, Yeah, a lot of those governance issues were in in Ireland and uh, they've recently appointed a a new um, CEO who actually comes from from Ireland and, and has some... Uh, reasonable you know, relationships we hope over there with uh, you know, with the regulators. So I think that yeah, you know, there's the potential that they can improve the outlook for the business uh, and and turn it around. Um, we've recently upgraded our recommendation from a hold to an accumulate due to the fact that the the price mm. um, yeah has come come down a fair bit um so long term we think it's a reasonable business but it is in in turnaround phase as you said they've, they've had a number of issues but they do have a lot of good contracts in place with uh, a number of you know quite large businesses around you know not only Australia but around the world so yeah we think it is a business that uh, yeah that, that can improve um, but it is obviously a higher risk uh, you know business um, business to, to take mm. on, so if you have it in your portfolio, I'd only uh, have it in in fairly small
1: um, percentage. Okay, Daniel, what do you think is the worst behind EML?
2: Yeah, uh, this is another tough one. Um, we we always looked a bit silly at Stock Doctor because you know we we never owned or never liked this business. So in the early kind of 2021 period, it was it was absolutely soaring and. You know, It seemed like we made a mistake and we're copying a bit of flack for it, but how quickly stories can change. So I think you have to go back to the original acquisition of prepaid financial solutions because that really was um, kind of the big turning point for EML and the new business going forward. And there was always a lot of yellow flags around that. There was some historical kind of issues already there with the Central Bank of Ireland um, before that deal even went through. And then you had the fact that the deal value was cut I think by 30 40% 40% um, for for EML to be able to go through with it because they originally agreed on a much higher price and then covid started to come and then the owner said oh no no we're happy to sell it for 30 40% lower which is which is very strange and something that we you know always had concerns of and it seems like you know over time the skeletons kind of came out of the closet there so in terms of the best days you know is, is the worst days behind it yeah, I don't think you can really say that because there's still a lot of uncertainty on the regulatory environment and some of the other acquisitions the business has made. So it's acquired um, that that other business Sentinel, uh, and that really hasn't improved the profitability or the margins or the cash flows at all. When I think when that deal originally went through, there were a lot of kind of synergies and margin uplift um, kind of prepositions proposed. So you know, there's just a lot of confusion here. I, we probably don't even really have a good understanding right. of the business model and how this company. Company makes profit, so I think you, you just really have to have a lot of confidence in, in the new management team here, because I think there's been a clear kind of lack of trust um, right. between previous management, regulators, and investors.
1: So too much uncertainty going ahead. To uh, at the to moment, and, you. and and yeah.
2: and it doesn't mean you can never invest in it. You know. Oh, no. Two years down the two years down the line, the story might change. Yep. but I think you need to wait for that clarity to come through, even if you're happy to pay a higher price um, for, for that clarity, because you know the, the risk is that you know things continue to happen yep. out of your control and open yeah. down thirty or forty percent. So and, uh, it's, it's a real possibility. It's got to be
1: way behind you. Uh, Retail Food Group came up on the call last week. And got a spec buy from uh, from both Bell and Mark Morland from uh, uh, from Team Investor. Mark, Mark had been in it years and years ago, ten years ago, when it was seven, eight bucks. It's currently five cents uh, because they got into all the strife with franchisees and had fines to pay and compensation. Um, but some great uh brands and he reckons all that's now behind them but it's taken eight years nine years to get there so very different it's all in the timing as you say all right let's uh go on to our next stock and uh john david lane wants a view on Newcrest mining one of our biggest gold producers
0: yes it is uh, one of the the biggest and and one of the lowest cost um producers um, currently under takeover from Newmont. Um, yeah. So we've got an accumulate recommendation on it. Um, our, our target price, if you like, is $33, which coincidentally is the same price that Newmont is, is offered to buy the stock for. Um, so yeah, there is upside potential in the current share price. They're still trading at a, at a reasonable discount to that takeover offer. Right. Um, so you markets. reckon
1: it will go through? well yeah
0: i think so and i guess the market is telling you that it it may well not uh and the potential that the, uh, the Foreign Investment Review Board might knock it back from a, a competition point of view. Um, but regardless, we think that the business is a, is a good quality business. Um, it's very well managed. It's got some great assets with 20-year mine life. So, yeah, there's obviously reasons that you might want to buy it. So, there's there should be reasons why others would want to buy it as well. Um, But we also like a number of uh, companies in that uh, Australian gold sector. We think that that the weaker Aussie dollar and and a reasonably strong gold price um, means that there's quite a lot of value in that sector. Um, Mm. Probably the the one that we like the most is uh, Silver Lake Resources. So have a a buy recommendation on them and think there's probably further upside in Silver Lake than there is in in Newcrest, but we still like Newcrest at, at current levels as well.
1: Okay. Uh, Daniel, what do you think of
2: Chris? Yeah, um, no, look, I'm, I'm happy to cover a mining stock uh, for once, given given I cover the sector. I don't get too many on the call these days, Koshi. So, uh, and the one I do get, it's under takeover offer and about to go through. So uh, I can't give too much of, I guess, of a, of a leaping okay, of I, call uh, here. But
1: then if it does go through, you know, that's 26 bucks to 33 in a short period of time. Uh, It seems a lie down as air, does it?
2: Uh, I'm not too sure because it is a script deal so it's 0.4 Newmont shares right. um, per new crash share so I'm not sure that obviously that that valuation fluctuates uh, fluctuates all the time so yeah. I'm not quite sure what the calculation is at the moment um, and then obviously I think it's a one dollar 10 cent. US dividend before takeover as well that you, that you're um, entitled to as a shareholder so I think there's probably a little bit of a premium to be earned here but right. obviously you know if it's still subject to the same risks as any other gold stock. Because you know, if Newmont goes down, typically you see the gold price going down yeah. and other gold stocks going down. So, but I will say it'll be interesting to see what happens under Newmont ownership because at the moment they have the one, they have the kind of crown jewel, in Incadia, and that really finances and funds the the almost the entire rest of the business. Um, you know, if you look at something like Lahia, they paid a lot of money for that and it really has never generated a great return on capital. They've invested so much money in that asset, um, and you know, it's still high cost. Yes, there's a huge resource there and it looks good on on all of the kind of comparison tables when you look at the amount of gold um, they produce and they have in the ground but at the end of the day as a shareholder you know you're interested in the margin and margins across the rest of the portfolio just haven't been as good as they have at Cadia so it'll be interesting to see what Newmont's plans are to do because you know they have stated that they're happy to continue um, current management's plans and reinvesting in these new projects but you know, they could very much just, just focus on Katie and run that for profitability and reinvest in some of the expansion plans there. So I like to see what happens um, when that's consumed. And I think Newmont will have a CDI listing on the ASX. I think that might be worth a look at. Um, but at the moment, I think bigger is not always better in the gold right. mining space. And there's a lot of interesting small companies out there. I think Capricorn is a company you should definitely have a look at if you're interested in the gold space.
0: Yep.
1: Um,
2: management team's done an excellent job there. And um, there's a lot of opportunity for consolidation in WA.
1: Yeah, uh, Bellevue is another one that um, has come up a fair bit as well here on the call. Uh, analysts like it too. All right, Capricorn and Silver Lake, but uh, no new crest for you?
2: Not at the moment. I'd yep. certainly happy to give Newmont a look uh, once that CDI comes here See on the ASX. Yep. Um But for, for, for us at the moment, we're happy okay. with other exposures.
1: Uh, final stock. Uh, um, Daniel, Jared wants to be on MMA Offshore, a marine service provider, not only in Australia, but Asia Pacific region, UK, Middle East, 1,100 employees. So they, they provide sort of the supply vessel vessels out to the, the drilling rigs, do they?
2: yeah they do a lot of maintenance work, and they also do kind of that that deep sea diving where they repair um, and uh, conduct right. maintenance on the yep. wells uh, in the ocean as well. so they do obviously quite specialized work and they are kind of dependent on what the oil markets and the energy markets are doing and clearly the last few years you know the, you've seen a huge increase in maintenance and and not only maintenance expenditure but restarting um, certain wells that perhaps were unprofitable at a low oil price, but now they're you know being brought online so the the work in hand and the pipeline and and the utilization of their vessels has has increased dramatically over the last few years. Um, And hence, you see the share price has done really well. Now, previously, this business, it did have a lot of debt. um, And that's where the concern was for shareholders. So I could actually see this almost, you know, relating to Pack Group, whereby Heaps of debt, a lot of concern about the balance sheet. Uh, but when it turns around and there's, there's you know an injection of capital and the business fundamentals are improving, you know, it can be a great opportunity. So I still think this is – I would call probably a more speculative buy. Yep. But in terms yeah. of kind of the profitability over the next 12 months with the work in hand, I think it will be quite good because a lot of the expenses or the costs um, have to do with um, the vessels, which are obviously already owned that utilisation goes up, a lot of free cash flow comes back to the business so I think next 12 months could look quite good for them.
1: Okay, David are you as positive?
0: Yeah I am, it's uh, it's quite an interesting business that uh, obviously historically it's had the exposure to the oil and gas sector um, but what's interesting now is that they're, they're now uh, doing a lot of work in the renewable energy and, and wind farms, uh, offshore wind farms. So uh for example they've just picked up three contracts in taiwan uh, which increases their revenue by 30 million dollars over the next 12 months uh, and the potential for another 15 million dollars of revenue for the 180 days past that so yeah I guess it's one of those stocks that you know is is benefiting from a, a change in uh, the way we source our energy and it has potential to actually benefit from the uh, you know the, the new renewable um yeah, space. So interesting from that point of view. And I suspect that's part of the reason why we've seen a bit of interest in the share price. Um, but still only trading on a P of 3.6 times. So as Daniel said, there's uh, been a, a big increase in free cash flow. Um, and i think yeah the the most interesting part is is their new market in in renewables um not just in taiwan that i mentioned but they're in south korea japan philippines um australia and new zealand and looking at the statistics the the unfortunate or concerning thing about that is that the uh the new projects for australian wind farms are significantly lower than the likes of south korea and japan and and taiwan that uh yeah, we're still well below um where the rest of the world is as far as um, yeah, the, the offshore wind farms are concerned, but um, yeah, an, an interesting business that I mm. think, you know, as Daniel said, high risk, but I think uh, if you want some exposure to the, that, um, yeah, renewable energy, this might be a way to do it.
1: Okay. All right. So you've got a, you do a spec buy as well?
0: Well, yeah, officially we don't cover it, but right. um, yeah, i yeah, my, my own uh, view would be a spec buy on it.
1: Okay. Terrific. All right. Let's recap the uh, the final five stocks. Um, Australian Bond Exchange a no from both David and Daniel. Uh, Myra hold from David a no from Daniel. Uh, EML no from Daniel. Uh, accumulate from uh, from David and Ord's. Uh Newcrest has an accumulate um, from David, but their preference in the gold mining sector is Silver Lake. Uh, a no from Daniel. He quite likes Capricorn in that space. And um, uh, MMA offshore, a speculative buy from both. Uh, Daniel Ortiz from Stock Doctor. Mate, always great to have you on board. Thank you kindly on this Monday. David Lane also from Ords uh, in Brisbane. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot. Good on you, fellas. Thank you for that. Thanks, Kashi. Uh, that's our show for today. Look, if you've got any stocks you'd like us to cover, and hey, we like your comments attached to them as well, or any questions, specific questions for our panel really go down well like you covered today, um, just go to ausbiz.co slash callpix or tweet us at ausbiz.tv. Two spec buyers today, uh and Acro. And MMA Offshore got the thumbs up from the guys. Um, the Pulse coming up right after this. Join me then. Stick around. See you better. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine
0: them getting even softer over time.